I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this. Don't trifle with our God. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. At the very first Apprentice Gathering, I was one of the speakers, as was Dallas Willard. And after a speaker gives their talk, typically I interview them. But because I was giving the talk, I needed someone else to interview me because I didn't want to interview myself. So I'd ask Dallas, hey, after my talk, do you want to do a Q&A? And he said, great. So after my talk, Dallas came up and sat down and he said some nice things about the talk because he's a nice man. And he then gave me a kind of a softball question, and I talked about that. And then he said, he paused and said, well, James, he liked to call me James, well, James, let me ask you this, does God ever let us get away with anything? And immediately my brain began spinning. I thought, okay, okay, come on, brain, let's answer this. And I thought, well, let's see, if I say yes, there's implications that way. If I say no, there's implications that way. And my brain was going, cannot compute, cannot compute. And I started to overheat. And I turned and said, well, Dallas, I don't know. What do you think? Which was, of course, the right response. Now, this is an important question. And Dallas wasn't trying to stump me, even though he did. That wasn't his intention. His intention wasn't to to trick me or ask some unanswerable question. I think as often happened, Dallas really thought I could answer it. It was just a question a little bit too big for me at that time. Well, I'm not going to tell you what Dallas said in answer to that when I put the question back on him right away. Instead, I want to ask another question, a question that I get a lot. I'll put it this way. What is the most common theological question that I get? The most common question about God. Now, you have to remember that I teach in academic settings. I teach people who are learning about God, who are considering ministry, preparing for ministry. So my audience, the students that I work with, are people who are tracking with the Scriptures. So I want to frame that because when I answer the question, what's the most common theological question I get, it is based on the kind of people that I work with, my students. Here's the most common theological question that I get. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? That is far and away the most common question I get. When students feel comfortable, many of them, when they ask the question, are a little uncomfortable. They're they're not sure that they should even be asking a question like that because it seems like, well, I should know the answer. But they ask it in 
all seriousness, to see if I have any kind of an answer. So let me, let me just ask this. Where does that question come from? Well, I think the question is basically saying, it seems as if God might have changed between the Old Testament and the New. And it appears that maybe he got nicer in between the Testaments. One of my students is a volleyball player, and she said, during my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, our coach was pretty mean to all of us. But then he had a little baby girl, and he got a lot nicer. And I think some people think, did, did God maybe, you know, he had a son in the New Testament. Did he get nicer? Well, why would we even ask this question? I think the reason that we ask the question is because when you read certain parts of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, it appears as if God is pretty vengeful, pretty spiteful. Stories like Noah and the flood, for example. I mean, it's a story we tell children, but frankly, it's a pretty dark story. It's a story where God said, because of human wickedness and rebellion, I am going to wipe out this race of people. That's pretty stark. Well, except Noah and his family and the animals. But what we often forget in that story is that Noah actually preached to the people for 120 years to try to get them to repent, and they didn't. But still, when we isolate certain stories, and I could name a whole bunch of them, you can walk away and going, yeah, ooh, ooh, that God of the Old Testament, pretty mean. In contrast, you get to the New Testament, and you say, wow, Jesus is being pretty nice to people who are broken. He's welcoming sinners and tax collectors, having dinner with them. He's rescuing this woman who was caught in adultery. He basically forgives her and says, go and sin no more. But she doesn't get that punishment that she might have gotten. And the thief on the cross. There's Jesus, and he's next to this thief on the cross. And this thief on the cross doesn't do any miraculous kind of conversion or repentance, just basically says Jesus isn't getting what he deserves. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So there's certain stories, and we think, wow, God does seem nicer, at least as we look at the way Jesus is behaving in the New Testament. It looks that way anyway. This issue was a problem in the early church. In fact, there was a second century bishop, so this is in the 100s, a second century bishop named Marcion. Marcion was, well, I said he's a bishop. He was a, a leader, a, a very prominent leader in the early church. And Marcion did not like the Old Testament. He said, this is not a true depiction of God as we see in the New Testament. And therefore, Marcion's solution was to cut out the Old Testament. That was his solution. He said, let's just rip it out. Well, they had scrolls, so they wouldn't have done it that. But you get the idea. We just need to get rid of it and just... Folk, the only canon of the Bible, the authoritative Bible, is just the New Testament. That was his solution. Fortunately, Marcion lost, and I'll explain why I use the word fortunately. So there is a way of reading the scriptures and, and ending up with that kind of solution. But I think it's unfair. I think it's a wrong reading, and I think there are some serious implications. So let me ask this question. Is that a fair reading of the Hebrew scriptures? of both the Old and the New Testaments? I would say no. And here are some reasons why. First of all, the Psalms. The Psalms are full of references to the steadfast love of God, the Hebrew word chesed, which means the steadfast love of God. That word chesed appears all throughout the Psalter. The Psalms are full 
of this idea that God is a God of steadfast love. And think even of Psalm 23, which is the most beloved of all the Psalms. Psalm 23 is dripping with a God of love and mercy. The Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing because of this God. He he provides all that we need and more. He walks with us through the dark times. He prepares a table. Our cup is overflowing. His goodness and mercy follows us everywhere. So if you just read the 23rd Psalm or even just the Psalms, you would come away with an image that God is a God of love. When students ask me that question, one of the answers I often give is, well, how about if we just read Isaiah 40 through 45, those five chapters in the Bible, just Isaiah 40 through 45. Now, Isaiah was one of the prophets, and prophets typically are kind of giving the people of Israel a rough time for their failures and talking about eminent punishment for the fact that they've gone astray. But if you read just Isaiah 40 through 45, you come away with this idea that the God of the people of Israel was incredibly loving. Here's here's just one verse from Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. That's Isaiah 43, verse 1. That's what we see in many parts of the Old Testament. But let's go to the New Testament. Is it fair to say that the New Testament is all just gentle Jesus, meek and mild? No, I would say no. In fact, Matthew 25, which contains the parable of the sheep and the goats, is one of the most painful images of God. Matthew 25 is the story of God separating people into two categories, those who did care for those who were in need and those who neglected to. And at the end of that parable, this is what Jesus says, and then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I mean, wow, that's pretty harsh. It's pretty intense. And there are other examples of Jesus being very direct. So, if you just pick out parts, if you cherry-pick parts, you can come up with that impression. But if you read the Scriptures as a whole, you see a greater consistency. In fact, N.T. Wright, who's considered the foremost Bible scholar who's living today, N.T. Wright says this, the fiercest statements of warning about judgment are on the lips of Jesus, and some of the most dramatically, spectacularly, extraordinary statements about overflowing mercy are in parts of the Old Testament. Now, that's worth noting. This is the number one Bible scholar in the world who's saying that. And then Tom Wright concludes with this. If God is a good God, he must react extremely strongly against that which destroys, corrupts, or defaces human life. The attempt to put the one versus the other is ill-conceived. So, we have from the leading Bible scholar in the world saying, don't make that mistake. Don't pit the one against the other. 
it's actually unfair. And we see this actually in the Apostle Paul. Paul says this in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. What is Paul getting at there? It is a principle of this universe. Paul is saying, look, don't be deceived. God is mocked. Whatever you reap, you are going to sow. That is a principle. That's how this works. And frankly, we want this to work that way, if you really think about it. In fact, one of the things that I'll say to my students, and I'll say it in this way just to get their attention, I'll say it this way. We need a God of wrath. Immediately, the reaction is, whoa, whoa, what did he say? This is, Dr. Smith teaches about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, how God reconciles and how God loves us no matter what. Why did he just say that? Well, let's talk about this word wrath for a second. Wrath is not anger on steroids. The wrath of God, as we see it in the scriptures, the wrath of God is God's right disposition towards sin. It's God's right disposition towards sin. I don't want a God who doesn't care about sin. I want a God who is powerful. I want a God who hates injustice. I want a God who stands up for what is right. A modern example might be Mothers Against Drunk Driving. The acronym is MAD, M-A-D-D. Now, what does this organization exist for? Well, they are mothers whose children were killed by those who drove drunk. People who got intoxicated, got behind a wheel, and recklessly took a life. And they are mad about it. And they should be mad. Because it's wrong. It's an injustice. I want a God who is mad about sin. I want a God who will correct. I want a God of justice. Certainly, yes, I want a God of mercy and forgiveness. But there's more to it than that. In fact, Matthew Harmon says this, From Genesis to Revelation, we see both God's stunning love and his terrifying wrath against sin and wickedness. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why I say, don't trifle with our God. I want a God like that. I don't want a God who looks away and doesn't care about sin, even my own sin. In fact, that's what we read in the scriptures, that God chastens those he loves. I want a God like that. One of my favorite illustrations of this on a human level is the story about John Wooden and Bill Walton. John Wooden was the basketball coach at UCLA for a long time, and he set a number of records. In fact, he won 10 straight national championships, which is quite a feat. But more than his success on the court, John Wooden's life was measured by his impact on the players, on the young men that he mentored and nurtured as their coach. And one of them was Bill Walton. Bill Walton 
went on to become a future NBA Hall of Famer. And when he was in college, he was the number one college player in the country. So he was playing for Coach Wooden, and he was heading into his senior year. And this is the early 70s. Got to keep that in context. It's the early 70s. And UCLA had a policy, Coach Wooden had a policy, that you couldn't wear your hair long, and you also couldn't have facial hair. But it was the early 70s, and Bill Walton in Southern California decides that, you know what, I have my rights. And he decided to grow his hair long. He decided to grow a beard. And so at the end of the summer, he got on his 10-speed bike, drove to Coach Wooden's office, sat down and said, Coach Wooden, I want to say this. Um, I feel that I have my rights. I feel that I should live by my principles. And I feel that I should be able to wear my hair however I want to wear it. And I just want to tell you, I'm standing by my principles. And John Wooden looked at him and he said, Well, Bill, I admire a man who lives by his principles. And all I can say is this. We're really going to miss you, Bill. And Bill Walton said, I knew he wasn't kidding. He was willing to let the number one player in the country walk. Now, it really wasn't about length of hair. It was about a culture of discipline. It was about respecting the rules. It was about doing things right. It was about not being selfish and being a part of the team. So Bill Walton said, I knew he wasn't kidding around. He would have let me go. So Bill Walton got on his 10-speed bike, went to the barber shop, got his hair cut, and shaved his beard. And they went on to win another national championship. Now, I tell that story because I think that the God that I want is a God like John Wooden. Because Bill Walton would say, nothing changed him more than the four years he was with Coach Wooden. He would describe him as the kind of man who was a tiger in practice. He would pace up and down. He would bark at them. But Bill Walton would say this, he always knew how to make us better. He knew how to push the right buttons. He got us to believe that we could be champions. He got us to believe that we could do anything. He knew how to make us play better than we could actually play, and we couldn't wait to play. That's the kind of person that John Wooden was. I had the privilege of actually spending the better part of a day with John Wooden, one of the best days of my life. And while I was with him, he got several phone calls throughout the day from former players. Now, we're talking about some amazing former players, not just Bill Walton, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and a number of other Hall of Fame players. And they were calling him. These are grown men, but they loved Coach Wooden so much, and they'd heard that he had had an illness. They wanted to check up on him just to see how he was doing. Why is that? Because they knew that John wouldn't love them. He loved them so much he wouldn't let them get away with anything. So back to Dallas Willard's question when he said, well, James, does God ever let us get away with anything? No, God doesn't let us get away with anything. When I blow it, and I have and do, I suffer the consequences of that. That's just the nature of it. If I sow to the flesh, I will reap corruption. If I sow to the Spirit, though, I will reap that as well. That's the nature of how God has set this up. I want a God 
that you can't trifle with. I want a God who is a God of justice. Folks, we've come out of the 20th century, which was, I think, one of the worst centuries in human life. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. The genocide that happened in the 20th century is astounding. And we look at the, the works of Hitler and even Stalin, who was worse than Hitler, and even Chairman Mao, who was worse than Stalin. And we look at the atrocities and we say, did they get away with that? Was there any sense of justice? Absolutely. Absolutely. The arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. I want a God who will not be trifled with. I have a picture. Uh, it's near where I pray, my prayer chair. And it's a, it's a picture, an artist's rendition of a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's Aslan, the lion, who is next to Susan. And I love this picture because Aslan is like, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. This is my girl right here. I, I got her. And I have that by my prayer chair because it just reminds me that I have a God who has my back. I have a God who is with me. This isn't a wimpy God. Our God is not to be trifled with. Aslan, man, he's good, but he isn't safe, as it says in the Chronicles of Narnia. I want a God like that. And that is who God is, in depicted in the person of Jesus. Our God is a God of lavish incomprehensible, shocking love. And our God is a God of unbending truth and unwavering justice. He is the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah. Praise be to God, who is both just and merciful. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, What's on your mind? Your answer will be things above.